0: This is The Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday, 10 to 2, on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app.
1: I've been absolutely fascinated by the case in Washington State, the murder trial of William Earl Talbot II. This is the Washington State truck driver who was arrested in 2018 after investigators used genetic genealogy to link him to an absolutely brutal double murder that occurred in 1987. 18-year-old Tanya Van Kylenborg, her 20-year-old boyfriend, Jay Cook, from suburban Victoria, they disappeared after leaving their home to do a road trip to Seattle on November 18th. 1987 they were later found dead this crime is absolutely brutal van kylenberg was found naked from the waist down she had been shot in the back of the head her boyfriend's body was found two days later he'd been beaten with rocks and strangled absolutely terrible crime it had gone unsolved for all these years but then investigators were able to use dna to uh, connect the crime to William Earl Talbot he was convicted by a jury in Washington state have a listen to this you're going to hear here the the guilty verdict being read out in court last week
0: we the jury find the defendant William Earl Talbot
2: II, guilty of the crime of first yes. murder as charged in
1: Can't do it. Okay. You could actually hear him say at the end of that clip there whispering, I didn't do it. He collapsed back in his chair. They had to wheel him out of the courtroom. The jury disagreed. They felt that he did do it. And I'll tell you, for the families of this, of these two Victoria young people, this was a a great relief to them. Let's check in now with Cece Morse. She's the chief genetic genealogist at Parabon. She's been involved in this case. I'm very pleased she could come on the show. Hi, Cece.
2: Hi, thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, an absolutely fascinating case and, and a real test case and an, an historic case I think for the use of this type of of DNA evidence. I know you've been involved in this case and you've done you've done incredible work in this uh, this new technology. Tell me how the uh, the authorities here in this case were able to crack this case and 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 convict this guy.
2: Sure, this was actually the first law enforcement case that I used my genetic genealogy methodology on and I was able to identify William o. Talbot II as the potential contributor of that crime scene DNA in only about two hours. And I spent uh, the rest of the weekend trying to make sure my theory was solid, but it was a really straightforward case because we took the crime scene DNA file and uploaded it to a public website called GEDmatch that genealogists use for their own research and compared it to about a million people who were participating there. And right at the top of our match list, we had two people who shared enough DNA to be second cousins with Mr. Talbot. And one was on his mom's side and one was on his dad's side. So once I was able to find that marriage, it joined those two family trees together. And his parents had three daughters and one son. So he was the only male that would have that correct mix of ancestral DNA to be the person who left their DNA behind at the crime scene.
1: Okay, this is this is incredible. I congratulate you on this amazing work that you've done here. Um, I guess a, a crucial element to this is that the authorities have got to make sure they have that preserved DNA, right? In this case, you had that DNA has been right. preserved for decades, and they were able to to use it once the kind of the science caught up.
2: Correct, and we've been getting a lot of accolades for our work, but. We would never be able to do our work if the investigators hadn't collected and stored that DNA evidence for all these decades and kept it viable for us to use when this newest technology came out. The difference is we're looking at hundreds of thousands of genetic markers across the chromosome, and traditionally in forensics, they've only been looking at a handful, uh, usually 20 genetic markers. And that's why what we're doing is so much more powerful for, for human identification than has ever been possible, really, in the history of crime solving.
1: Yeah, it really is something. And after you were able to use that preserved DNA to identify some relatives of William Earl Talbot, the investigators there in Washington State were able to get uh, a direct uh, DNA sample from him, right? How did they do that?
2: Yeah, so what I'm doing is really just a tip. It's a highly scientific tip, but it's nothing they would arrest on. So they have to go out and do their traditional police work. And in this case, that involved, of course, researching his background and then following him to see if he would drop anything that they could take and test for DNA. They have to get that exact match to their forensic DNA profile that they've had for all these years. That's what's court admissible, and that's what allows them to make an arrest. So he, they followed him quite a while before he finally dropped a cup out of his truck. And that's fair game. In the United States, if you leave your DNA behind somewhere and trash a water bottle, McDonald's, anything like that. Law enforcement is allowed to pick that up and test it. And when they did, they got that exact match that they'd been looking for for decades.
1: This is incredible that they were able to solve this crime so so many years later, so many decades later. And I know for the, the families uh, in Victoria here, CC. I mean, this is this was just a, a great relief for them uh, to have this justice. I know how grateful they are to you, but man, this opens up so many other possibilities on so many other cold cases in the United States, doesn't
2: it? It sure does. I do yeah. want to say the Cook and Van Kylenberg families are just amazing, and I'm am yeah. so happy we were finally able to bring them some answers and some justice. Yeah. They have waited a long time. Everyone is deserving and worthy, but those are just wonderful families, and what they've been through is horrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't um, obviously as, doesn't bring back their loved ones, but it does give right. them that sense of closure and justice, and they're able to move on with their lives in some ways, I think.
2: I think it lifts a big burden, finally. Yeah. I know that Kenya's brother really carried a heavy burden on his shoulders, you know, all these years. And he seems a bit lighter, and, you know, he can put this behind him a little bit more. You never get closure, I don't think, but at least he knows justice is served for his sister and for Jay. Um, As far as other families, yeah, there are hundreds of families, maybe thousands of families, waiting on cold cases, waiting for answers for their own loved ones. We have uh, 59 successful identification bills, 58 since Mr. Talbot. Um, So we've had lots and lots of arrests, dozens of them in the United States. Um, going all the way back to a 1967 crime in Seattle, Washington. That's our oldest cold case thus far where we were able to identify the perpetrator. In that case, he was deceased, though, so no arrest. We see that, of course, in some of these older cases. But um, there's certainly no reason we can't do this for any cold case where there's viable DNA remaining. So that you know, does offer a lot of hope to people who've been waiting for decades.
1: Tell me a little bit about the the Golden State Killer case that people might be familiar with.
2: Yeah, that is what finally got us into doing law enforcement. I had been asked dozens of times by law enforcement if I could use these techniques that I developed for adoption to help them in law enforcement cases. But I had hesitated to do that uh, until after the Golden State Killer suspect arrest. And one of my colleagues used these techniques to identify uh, D'Angelo. Mr. D'Angelo is the potential suspect in that case. Yeah. But it wasn't the first one to go to trial because it's so complex. It's multi-jurisdictional. It's going to take a while to get in front of the courts. So that meant that the second case where genetic genealogy was used to identify the potential suspect went first, and that was Mr. Talbot. Right. So right after the Golden State Killer suspect arrest is when I made the decision to jump in and start helping law enforcement. That case was worked wow. bar- by Barbara Ray Venter, uh, she 's a genetic genealogist like me in California, and she's continuing to work with the FBI on other cases as well so you know between us and a couple other people, I think we're closing in on about a hundred cases very wow. soon where we 'll get answers for for these families and victims
1: that 's really incredible and the Talbot case uh, here in washington state was a, it was would you consider that to be a real test case i mean this is like, is this the first I would. the first yeah. one yeah.
2: Yeah, it really was very important to law enforcement and genetic genealogy and what we're now calling investigative genetic genealogy, which is specifically what we're doing here. Um, Because genetic genealogy ended up not really being on trial and the defense and prosecution just stipulated that it was used as a tip, it really reinforces what we've been claiming all along, that, you know, this isn't what should be focused on in trial because this is not... uh, the type of things that would be entered as evidence. It really is a tip. It's a lead generator. So we were really happy to see it treated that way. Although I would have loved to go up there and testify like I was scheduled to, to see the families and the wonderful Detective Scharf. Um, This was definitely the best outcome, that it was treated this way. And then to get this guilty verdict is huge for us. And it means that many of the departments that were on the sidelines waiting to see how this would be handled in court we'll probably jump in now and start coming forward with their cold cases as well to be worked with genetic genealogy.
1: I'll be speaking to Detective James Scharf uh, coming up here after I finish speaking with you, Cece. He is the homicide detective there.
2: Thinking, you know, embraces the newest technology all the time. I was happy to hear he was going to be explaining and in the trial the work I did because there's nobody better to shepherd this through the first trial than Detective Sharf.
1: I'll be speaking to him in just a few moments. He's a hero to these families now. I can tell I can tell you that. Just yes. lastly, what about the There's there controversy around this evidence, right? I mean, are, is there any kind of arguments against uh, public defenders or, or any civil rights activists who think that this evidence maybe should not be admissible in court?
2: Oh, sure. There's always going to be objections and challenges when you start using a new technology or a new technique. Um, but so far we've had a number of convictions through guilty pleas here in the United States. So this was our first conviction through a jury trial, but there's been a handful of others who were identified through genetic genealogy that felt there was really no way they could fight this. At least that must be what their attorneys recommended to them, and they went ahead and pled guilty. So we're not so far seeing challenges to it or objections, but I'm sure there will be a defense attorney in the coming year or two that will certainly try to do so. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to be arguing. I think that's why we didn't see it in the Talbot case. It's a difficult wow. thing to challenge, um, but
1: I'm sure some will try. Cece, thank you for coming on today.
2: Thank you for having me. Have a great rest of the week
1: weekend. Thank you. Same to you. That's Cece Moore. She is a genetic genealogist. She was involved in the case of James Earl While William Earl Talbot II, uh, the Washington State truck driver who was uh, convicted in that historic double murder there of those two young people from suburban uh, Victoria. Let me introduce you now to the homicide detective on the case, Jim Scharf from the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office. Jim, thanks for coming on. Thank you,
3: Mike, for having me.
1: Appreciate it. When did you get involved in this case?
3: I got involved in January of 2005 when we received a tip from someone that thought she might have a lead on who a suspect could be, but that petered out on us.
1: What's it What's it like to work on a cold case like that? That's got to be frustrating for uh, for a homicide cop.
3: Well, I I've been working cold homicide cases since February of 2005 when we formed our cold case team. And right now we've got like 101 cold cases dating back to 1956 here in Snohomish County. What you got to do is just go to work every day and hope that that one lead comes through that's going to make a break in the case. I mean, there's lots and lots of dead ends that you hit all the time. But I got a lot of hope in this case uh, back in 2010 when we got a tip that Led us to the identification of the man who was the letter writer that was taunting the family and claiming responsibility, and we were able to find him and rule him out. That gave me hope that someday we're going to be able to get the tip that's going to solve this case.
1: Okay, of course, the big breakthrough came with the with the DNA evidence, and I just spoke earlier on the show, Jim, to C.C. Moore, who was so uh, crucial in, in solving this case with historic DNA evidence, and we heard the story about how. Your, your uh, investigations, investigators were able to get a DNA match uh, with uh, William Earl Talbot. Can you tell me how you did that? How were you able to obtain his DNA?
3: Well, uh, w- first it took the tip from Carabon and C.C. Moore doing the genetic genealogy work with the suspect DNA that they uploaded to GEDmatch for us. And once we got that tip, We had a team of detectives that followed him around. He was a truck driver driving a semi-truck, and luckily for us, he pulled up to a stoplight and opened his door to check something behind the cab, and his coffee cup fell out. We were able to recover that, take it to the crime lab, and by the next day, we had a match and knew that uh, we finally had solved this case.
1: Jim, we just got sadly, we just got a one minute left here. What was, what is, what's it like for you personally to work on this case for so long, and and to see a conviction in this case?
3: Well, it's very gratifying, and you know, this was all about finding who killed Tanya and Jay, and that was our whole focus. Uh, we're just so happy to hear the immense outpouring of gratitude from everyone on both sides of the border all of us that had worked so hard on this case over the past 31 plus years to get it solved and adjudicated like this
1: yeah i i can i know for sure i know the uh the brother of tanya's brother and that whole family both families uh this brought them great comfort and relief and uh i, I just you know i think for everyone on this side of the border i just want to say thanks to you for the great work that you and your team did on this case and Appreciate it. We're
3: well you're very welcome and we're just so happy for all of you. It's just been wonderful that we're able to use genetic genealogy to solve cases like this now.
1: Jim, thanks for coming on.
3: You're welcome. Thank okay. you.
1: Appreciate it. Jim Sharf, he's the homicide detective there in the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office who worked on those historic murders of those two young people from Victoria, Tanya Van Kylenborger boyfriend Jay Cook and the dramatic conviction last week.